You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, sitting next to Certified Financial Planner Ethan Broga. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. It's a uh, lovely December 27th and uh, we're getting close to the year end. This show is designed to share with you prudent financial uh, planning and investment advice, uh, the likes of which, Ethan, we hope will help our listeners make a lifetime of smart financial decisions. And uh, this show, Ethan, I thought we could talk a little bit about some year-end charitable donation options. Okay. Um, and then just go through, as we always do, some articles, uh, you know, about the um, uh, investing, and and talk about some some strategies going into the new year that investors might want to uh, embrace. Or looking back at this past year, things that uh, the mistakes over the last cycle. That uh, we want to make sure you avoid if if uh, if you did fall victim of some of these to some of these mistakes in the past, that you avoid those making those mistakes going forward. Sounds good. I thought we could talk about a Bloomberg article here about uh, Americans missing two hundred billion dollars um, by abandoning stocks. Okay. And uh, before we get into all of that, I thought also either we could talk a little bit about the implications here of the fiscal cliff stuff as we have been. But before we do all that, go ahead and give out our contact information, if you don't mind. Sure thing, sure thing. If you would like to join the show today, this is a, a, a live broadcast from the Empirical Towers in beautiful downtown Lovely downtown Seattle. Seattle. Uh, you can reach us via email at contact at empiradio.com or reach us via phone here on the air at 866-472-5790. Um, if you're an individual investor out there but don't want to join the show, but do have a financial-related question you'd like to ask us or have us um, weigh in on or perhaps give you a second opinion on what you're currently doing, you can reach us here directly at the Empirical office at 206-923-3474 and just ask for Ken or Ethan, and we'll be glad to speak with you. Sounds good. Sounds very good. Let's talk about the charitable stuff, Ethan. Okay, doke. So, uh, one of our advisors and partners, Michael Van Sant, wrote a blog. It's on our website, uh, which is now empirical.net. Is that correct, Simon? <clears throat> As of this moment, uh, we have uh, uh, obtained the domain site empirical.net. So, it just saves you a little additional typing. But if you go to empirical.net and go to our blog section, uh, Mike wrote about this, but uh, we're running pretty close to the buzzer here in terms of making charitable donations indeed and uh you know there's a lot of uncertainty Ethan, about the you know what what outcome we will we will get to f- resolving the fiscal cliff issue and all the pending uh expiration of tax cuts and uh things that are up for proposal and one of those up for discussion is the charitable deduction i know right but uh, at least for 2012 there is a charitable do- uh, deduction that's correct and you've got a few days here to get those in, and so um, you know one way of planning around that is you know it, it makes sense. Um, I'm just going to read through here for the mics. If we assume that taxes will increase by any amount, it'd be logical to defer 
any giving this year to next year, um, assuming again, Ethan, that they don't limit or reduce the ability to deduct charitable contributions. Right. Uh, but uh, if we if we assume um, some may wonder what would happen if the tax code changes ultimately to eliminate the deduction available for charitable giving, but we believe speculating about the specifics of the tax code is probably pretty detrimental and ineffective in the long run, uh, just like speculating about short-term market movements. Sure. So you develop a long-term charitable giving strategy that works under any tax code as a reasonable approach to it, and then adapt you know, accordingly as as the code changes, but uh, trying to plan in advance is is kind of tough on on tax legislation. Sure, donor advised funds, though this is the point uh, and a tool that we've used to help clients. Yeah, uh, particularly clients that we've gotten to this stage of the year, and <clears throat> they need to make donations and they need to make them quickly uh, to get it in for the tax year. And there are there are vehicles um, called donor advised funds. And they're available at brokerage firms. We, we use Schwab a lot to custody client assets, and they have a, a donor-advised fund, and it allows you to, to really maximize your tax benefit from charitable giving. Uh, it is a 501c3 charitable organization. It's set up that way, so when you donate into it, even though you don't have to select which ultimate charity will receive the funds until next year or even beyond, theoretically you could take 20 years or even more to just to disperse the funds you put into this vehicle, into this account, this donor advised account, Ethan. Right. That's kind of the the beauty of it is if if you were in a high bracket this year, you had substantial income that maybe won't be the norm for the next few years. You could make multiple years of contributions into the fund, and then disperse the fund uh, out over whatever period you want to any number. Of charities, and I think the minimum uh, we had the charitable represent, uh, representative from Schwab come in and talk to us about this, and I think the minimum is as little as fifty dollars actually that you can uh, designate to go to a particular charity. Oh right, uh-huh. and there are a couple of cool things about that. Uh, one is you're not having to sit down and then write personal checks; you just log into the site, and you can have those checks distributed and again as little as I think fifty dollar increments mm-hmm. to as many charities as you want. That's right. Uh, two, another cool part about it is um, you can invest the account in the meantime from a, a – a, there's a list of approved. You can't buy anything you want in these accounts, but there are a list of approved diversified mutual fund type investments mm-hmm. uh, that I've looked through the choices. And there are some reasonable options, and there's some index funds, which we like a lot, sure. that you could build a, at least a reasonably diversified stock and bond mix. So the fund can, can doesn't have to sit in cash until you get it distributed, particularly if you have a longer-term time horizon. Right. To distribute it can be invested and could be growing, and it's growing tax-free. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that is a potential positive of choosing this vehicle. Uh, you need, um, I think it's, um, what is the minimum? He has $5,000. Uh, is that the minimum? Oh, to open the account, that's to right. To open the account, mm-hmm. Okay. So you do need, I thought it was a little less actually, but that might be something recently with Schwab. Uh, if you're making a donation then, it needs to be, to open it up, it sounds like you need to put at least $5,000 into it. Right. So if you're just doing smaller things, then it's probably not the best vehicle. But uh, um, if if you are, where, where it gets unique, Ethan, is you can contribute assets that have capital gains. 
in them. And so if you had a stock, for example, and we recommend doing this a lot, is going through your portfolio and rather than giving cash gifts, um, writing checks and holding on stock that has a low basis, which means if you were to sell it and, and diversify it the way we like to diversify across the portfolio, a lot of cases doing so would trigger the capital gains, which this year should, the long term will still be 15, but going forward it, it may be 20. Mm-hmm. I think is what we were looking for or, or thinking it might go to. Right. Um, and it's been even higher in past times, right? Mm-hmm. So one of the unique things is you can you can move those low-cost basis securities into one of these donor-advised accounts, Get uh, avoid paying the capital gain on the appreciation within the stock, and get the deduction um, on the charitable donation within your deductible limitations. Yep. Um, so it has some unique benefits that way. And then what you can do is diversify it inside the fund, across those mutual funds we talked about, and then distribute it over whatever period you want mm-hmm. uh, of time. So I'm just going to skim through here. These investment vehicles are especially useful, gifting long-term appreciated investments. Um, like I said, avoiding the capital gains tax that would occur if you sold the securities in your account and then made a cash donation. Right. So my advice, and I love your opinion on this, would be anytime you've got a portfolio in a taxable account where there are taxable uh, securities that have gains and you're out writing che- cash checks to make donations to charities of any substantial nature, consider looking through the portfolio. And the trickier part is if you're giving to multiple charities – the way you would do that without this donor-advised fund typically would be you'd need to f- talk to the charity, right, and find out if they have an, a brokerage or investment account. A lot of them do. Most of the major charities accept uh, investment assets into their account. But you have to go through process with your broker mm-hmm. to DTC transfer so exactly they typically right. call that. It's exactly um, right. And you have to set a set, a set – if you're trying to get values, for example, now you're dealing in shares that fluctuate. So you have to kind of isolate, well, what amount did I want to give? And if it's the market's volatile, changes in value. And you'd have to really uh, shift and fill out the paperwork for each share to be to transfer those shares to them and then track on your end what the value went, the data went. You know what I mean? Yep. It's a little bit of a pain where uh, theoretically you could move the total amount of securities that you want into that single account, then liquidate them, diversify them, at a tax-free, and then send the exact dollar amount, again, if there was 50 charities you wanted to donate to, imagine DTC transferring shares of a mutual fund or stock to 50 different charities. Not a lot of fun. It's a, it's a pain, right? A lot of hassle, yeah. If it's just one, then it then it, it probably, and you're ready to give them the, the entire amount in a single year, um, and it probably doesn't make as much sense. But no, right. At any rate, it should be a, a consideration while the tax rules still work to your advantage to, to donate appreciated at investments rather than cash. Yeah, I actually have a, well, several clients who use it, but one, one example of would be um, they have a, a couple who's in their 70s. And, uh, Talk to me. They have this particular year, a lot, of, a lot of income. They realize a lot of capital gains uh, from repositioning of their portfolio and um, also took out Required minimum distributions from the IRAs and things. Um, so they're, this particular year are going to be in a pretty high tax bracket, which will be unusually so, 
going forward. In other words, they won't be in, in as high a tax bracket in the future than as they are, at least for 2012. Uh, plus, they're also very charitably inclined. They tend to give five to 10000 a year uh, anyway, just in terms of cash donations and things like that. So what I suggested for them was, hey, this year, if we're planning on giving money away anyway to charities that you support and, are, and like to, to be involved with, right. let's, let's cut out the next five years of donations into one year. So let's, let's carve out $50,000 of, of low basis stock, which they had plenty of, put it into this charitable account. We can then sell the stock, diversify right away, and then over the next five years, you go ahead and send out how much you, know, you would want to send on an annual basis. But get the, get the tax credit for it right now this year when you can use it the most which is what we did for these folks. So I like it. It's pretty slick. I appreciate it. I want to thank Mike for writing up the blog here and uh, and posting this up because it's a it's a great vehicle and a great tool. Um, and I think you know char- giving to charity is one of the greatest things we can do. Sure. Um, to give back, you know, and uh, but why not do it again in the most prudent way? Yeah, that maximizes what the charity gets along the way as well, and 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 makes it better for you to diverse, diversify your portfolio as well. Why exactly. give away cash and hold on to a, a risky concentrated stock? Right. Um, you can also give uh, property or other illiquid assets. So there's just some procedures around that, but you can into the same fund into that fund. Oh wow! And then they can diversify it or sell it within the fund, and then I didn't realize they that. can invest it. Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, that one makes it unique as well. One of the, the nicest thing is that um, you, you can simply it's, you can journal the account, journal the assets. So we work with clients all the time on this type of thing. But it's as simple as writing writing a letter of instruction, having the the client sign it, and we just journal the funds from one account to the other, and within Schwab, and it takes two seconds once you have the yeah. You know, it's, it's not a, not a cumbersome process. It's extremely easy. Um, so uh, for that reason, I like it as well. Cool. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Empirical Investing Radio shortly. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Where do you stand with your money? Let me put this question a different way. Where do you think you stand with your money? Managing money effectively can mean wealth, success, and contentment. Not managing the right way can lead to stress, anxiety, and even health problems. To reach your financial goals, tune in to Money, Jobs, Health, and Other Things of Life with host Gordon Bennett. Every day we are faced with choices, and the wrong ones can be hard to correct. 
Don't make a bad financial choice. Listen every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Business. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. We are back at Empirical Investing Radio. Your co host, Ethan. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> I love your enthusiasm. I love it, Ethan. Your co host, Ethan Broca here. Uh, if you'd like to join the show, feel free to give us a call or, or shoot us an email. We can be reached at uh, contact at empiradio.com or 866 472 And uh, Ken, for this segment, we were going to segue into uh, a slightly different topic. And what, what was that? Uh, you know, um, I wanted to talk about this article that we picked up in Bloomberg here just a couple of days ago about Americans missing out on $200 billion um, of, of assets uh, by abandoning stocks. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe we can, we can tackle that and come back around to some of the fiscal cliff stuff and what's going on in the market and how things are looking like they're going to close for the year okay. um, and tie this into some of our Suggestions here on how to how to survive uh, what is seemingly a more and more volatile and fickle marketplace. I mean, just today, Ethan, to preface mm-hmm. this, the market was down what 150 something at one point, yep. Yep. Um, and we and we wound up closing, um, you know, closing the market down just slightly, actually. Right. Um, and the, the the article earlier in the day was that you know the market's plunging on budget impasse, and then just some chatter about them getting back together over the weekend, and the market rebound you know rebounds. So keep that in mind as we're kind of reading or going through this article. I'll give you the premise here, and then I'd love your your uh, commentary along the way, Ethan. Your wisdom. <laughs> Uh, Americans have missed out on almost $200 billion of stock gains as they drained money from the market in the past four years. So this is Bloomberg uh, posted on December 24th, just a few days ago, Ethan. Uh, Haunted by the financial crisis, assets in equity mutual, exchange-traded and closed-end funds increased about 85% to $5.6 trillion since the bull market began in March of 2009. Wow. So there's 5.6 trillion dollars in um, in those in those equity uh, securities. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. But that trails the Standard and Poor 500 uh, S&P 500 index's 94 percent advance. So the investors experienced an 85 percent advance, you know, in terms of the assets in those. Uh, but yet the S&P went up 94 percent. First of all, it's pretty phenomenal yeah. that the S&P has recovered 94% from one of the worst financial crises in our history. Yes. Uh, it is a true testament to one of the tenets in our letter this quarter about diversification. People think it's dead or in the in the general media. There's this. Uh, they created, a, in, in my view, a fictitionary 
fictitious debate about whether modern portfolio theory is dead and diversification doesn't work and all that kind of stuff. Well, it works perfectly when, when the market recovers from a systemic global crisis and, and rebounds 94%. Uh, because if, if you didn't diversify, clearly we've talked about the fact that there are many companies that have gone out of business, went to zero. Right. So the alternative to not diversifying, right, is to be concentrated or just not to be in the market at all. You know, maybe that's the argument or it's to try to figure out how to get in and out at the right time. Well, we'll see how well that has worked as we proceed through this article. Because mm-hmm. that's what a lot of people are engaging in was this getting in and out and they're doing it right now. Sure. And every, week we're, we're reading research on this that supports the exact way that we're recommending you invest your money. Um, so, hey, hey, real quick, you know, by the way, I mean, oh, okay. not, no, you know this, but to frame it a, a different way, yeah. if the research that was available came to a different conclusion, in other words, hey, it's good to time the market, right? Mm-hmm. It's useful, you can do that, and it's beneficial. In other words, you get better return and take on less risk. That's what we would do. Right. We would definitely be doing that. Yeah. So my point is, hey, we're not just lo- we're not selectively reading the research. We're looking for any research that is academically done and, and third party independently conducted right. uh, to figure out, hey, what is the best approach? And so I don't want to just have readers or listeners think that, hey, we're looking at one type of advice here. We're looking for the studies that already support our viewpoint. Right. We're looking for anything that's available out there that can be academically supported, and, and that's what we would do. So I want to point that out. Well, that was an excellent point. So this data was uh, compiled by Bloomberg and Morningstar, and the proportion of retirement funds in stocks fell about a half a percentage point, compared with an average rise of 8.2 percentage points in rallies since 1990. So what that means is the amount of people investing in equities in their retirement accounts, even, um, the percentage that they're holding is actually down about a half a percent, where historically speaking, coming out of... um, a, a bull market or in through a bull market the the average the average equity exposure has typically gone up as investors pile back into the market right so if when you have a situation right now where the S&P has rebounded 94% but you still have the average retired uh, retirement account having a half a percent less than normal equity exposure where traditionally when rebounds like that have occurred people are putting back and getting back into the market right the retreat shows that even the biggest gain since 1998 failed to heal investor confidence after the financial collapse that wiped out $11 trillion of U.S. equity value. Wow. It was followed by record price swings in equities, a market breakdown that briefly erased $862 billion in share value, and the slowest recovery from a recession since World War II. Individuals are withdrawing money as political leaders struggle to avert budget cuts that threaten to throw the economy into a new slump. Our biggest liability in the stock market has been the total destruction uh, to confidence. One advisor uh, quotes. So let's skip ahead here. Now, much of the damage to investors um, is self-inflicted as U.S. growth improves and companies whose earnings are mostly tied to economic expansion reap the biggest rewards. Of the 500 companies in the benchmark index, 481 are now higher than they were in March 2009. So it's pretty pretty impressive, actually, Ethan. Yeah, it really is. 481 out of the 500 are actually higher than they were back then. 
or when they entered the the uh, the gauge. So when they entered into the index for those that have entered since that time period. Um, interestingly enough, Expedia, which is a Bellevue, Washington, our hometown here mm-hmm. area. I mean, uh, they're up 577 percent. The online travel agency. That's amazing. Um, yeah, pretty pretty amazing. Um, and they give a few other examples of companies that just have had enormous rebounds since then. Yeah, it's just again interesting, Ethan, when you think of the generally generally negative news daily in the marketplace and in the media. But there are companies that have rallied 577. <laughs> um, I agree. Stock allocation. So individuals are selling into the rally. And this is what's interesting about this. Cutting the proportion of assets and stocks to 72% from 72.5% in 2009. Hmm. So the average allocation has actually gone down as the market's been rallying wow. over the last few years here, Ethan. Yeah. According to the 401, uh, to 401k and IRAM mutual fund data from Washington-based investment institute compiled by Bloomberg. The data is for all equities, bonds, and hybrid funds and excludes money markets. Investors are lowering the proportion of stocks they own in retirement funds during a bull market for the first time in 20 years. The percentage of households owning stock mutual funds has also fallen, dropping every year since 2008 to 46.4% in 2011, which is the second lowest since 1997, according to the latest ICI annual mutual fund survey. Wow. The technology bubble, this is interesting, the technology bubble in the 1990s saw equity mutual funds expand twice as much as the S&P 500. So stocks representation of 401k and uh, IRA accounts rose to 90% in 2000 from 77% in 1992. So right before the market collapsed in the technology bubble is when people had an average of 90% stock exposure. Right. So today they're sitting at about 72%. Um, now, if you look at the valuation differences, right, the S&P, uh, I think it was in 1999, got up to trading at about 45 times earnings at one point. Mm-hmm. And, and today um, we're sitting at about 14 and a half times earnings. Money has gone. Where has the money gone, Ethan? I have to go someplace. I'll tell you where it's gone. <laughs> to relatively safe. This The relative safety of... Uh, Fixed income managers who specialize in corporate bonds and treasuries have received nearly a trillion dollars in fresh cash since 2009. Wow. So that trillion dollars is money that wasn't invested in bond funds back in 2009. So you've got money coming out basically of equity funds through this period. Um, but a trillion dollars has gone into, into fixed income. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Outflows from stock stocks muted gains as reduced demand kept companies from going public or expanding through mergers and acquisitions. Um, imagine where we could be if we had positive inflows. One of the advisors interviewed said in the article, it would be very helpful to get those flows reversed and to have that money come out of bonds and into stock funds. So I think there something to, to key in on is if if investors do change their attitude, um, we could see significant appreciation in equities just because there's so much higher uh, allocation right now to to bonds, very low-yielding, low-returning fixed income assets. That's on top of the money. I'm sure that's got into cash. I mean, some people have moved money, moved money that was in stocks 
not just to bonds, but to cash. Oh, that's true. So I'm sure there's, there's that's an understatement of the total net effect that uh, money that's normally or you know in a normal situation would be actually be in stocks. So accounting for that, stock prices obviously would be much higher. If that Companies was are holding a record 1.03 trillion of cash, Ethan. On their balance sheets, they are failing to lure in individuals into investment funds. Yeah, that doesn't even account for that. That isn't individual investors, right? That's that's simply uh, um, you said corporations that have the the 1.2 trillion. Is that what you said? Yeah, companies are holding a record 1.03 trillion of cash on their balance sheets. Yeah, right. They're they're failing to lure individuals to investment funds, even though valuations have been stuck below the average since 1954. For the longest stretch since Richard Nixon was president, bond yields have fallen to near record lows. The S&P trades at 14.5 wow. times reported earnings, a 12% discount to the six-decade average. Man, it seems like, boy, if you get any type of, and obviously it's a bit of speculation on my part, but it seems like if you get any, any type of clarity <laughs> with regards to the uh, economic situation in the U.S. and in Europe, with all that money on the sidelines that otherwise would be in cash, you'd have a, 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 a what would seem like a, a bull rally of some point. Yeah, cause this thing could come roaring. Really could be, right? And it and would come at an unexpected time because those things are not expected to end very well uh, right now. So that would be interesting to, to watch that. Well, uh, I've got more here. There's uh, more? There, there is more. Yeah. I don't know if we're going to need to take a quick break. Got about so, uh, 60 seconds. A few seconds, seconds. But uh, IPOs and takeovers, they've traditionally, uh, if you tracked – Initial public offerings, Ethan, and, and also takeovers of companies. Yep. Uh, they tend to track, you know, along with economic and market conditions. Mm-hmm. So, uh, when we come back, maybe I can read through that. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. And I want to, I want to sum up as we get through the, the article. What, what should you do? What can we learn from, from this and the other studies we've talked about on the show pretty regularly? Let's take a quick break though. Um, and we'll be right back. Empirical Investing Radio. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio. Voice America Business Network. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment. And that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. 
business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. We're back at Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host, Ethan Broga, alongside Ken Smith here, just reviewing an article we came across in uh, Bloomberg here recently uh, titled, Americans Miss 200 Billion Abandoning Stocks. And, uh, hey, Ken, before we, we finish up this part of the discussion, I, I wanted to maybe re, re, recap the very first part of the discussion uh, and address the address the specific the title of this article is, you know, Americans spends $200 billion in abandoning stocks. So I'm not sure that we, we clarified how that happened, actually. Um, we talked about the differences of, of equity allocations going in, you know, into the, the stock market downturn and then back out. Most folks had, according to the study here, had less equity as a result of that. And therefore, that's how they're getting the $200 billion, basically, left on the table for, for stock investors, people who abandoned stocks perhaps too soon, as it would appear, and didn't participate in the recovery. Is that what we're getting at with that? Yeah, what we're saying is um, if uh, I didn't run the math on this, but I'm assuming there's a relationship here where you look at if the the assets in equity investments, publicly traded equity investments, are up about 85 percent, right. but the S and P 500 is up about 94 percent over that time period. Right. Okay. Um, they cite that you're at 5.6 trillion, um, but that's an 85 percent increase. If they had just stuck in the market and just held the S&P, right, it would have been a 94% increase. So that difference is probably where they're getting the $200 billion. Gotcha. Um, I was just following the index and saying, hey, if we if we went back in time. Um, right. And you know what I mean? I can yeah. run those numbers for you. but No, that's fine. But I, I, uh, I, I guess my, my other point would be, so just to clarify, that's where they get the, the math, you know, the, the $200 billion in the title of the article. Uh, is just folks who they have less equity now than they did before, and if it is compared to the index anyway, um, that's where they're getting the difference. But I, I would also say this: probably most folks, uh, they might have other things other than just S and P portfolio. In other words, they may have had international emerging markets, and if they sold those assets during the downturn and didn't wait for the recovery, they're even further behind than where they would have been than this. So I would say this probably understates the amount of money left on the table for most investors. It could be, yeah. yeah just an aside there. Because as 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 um, even as the mar- and that what's what's interesting about this article that's different than what we talked about in the last show or two uh, about investors' poor timing. Mm-hmm. An article about the uh, the very poor timing of the average investor and those studies um, about their timing in and out of the market. Well, what's even more uniquely different about this time around is that at least in past bull. Um, Market declines as the market began to recover. Investors were late, right? But they did put money back into equities as it was recovering. Mm-hmm. So, where in this particular case, even though the market's up ninety-four percent since March, the actual amount in equities has has declined. I see. So the flows back the in were slower, yeah, than before. That that's what they're saying is. 
um, not only do investors have they had very poor timing in the past in terms of getting out at the bottom and getting back in towards the top. Mm-hmm. In the past, though, at least they were getting in as the market was recovering. Right. We have people still pulling out right now. The market's up 94%, and they're pulling out. Yep. They, not only were they not getting back in, but they continued to pull out as the market has rallied. Um, so they didn't really participated much in that recovery. Now, somebody is, right? Sure. But it's it's not the people buying into those those publicly traded uh, equity funds. So right. Um, now, in our philosophy, we haven't been pulling out. Actually, we were rebalancing and buying back equities wherever possible to get back into alignment with the stock and bond target ratios for the investors that we're working with. So, just by that nature of our rebalancing discipline. From March to now, we've been we've been buying equities. Mm-hmm. Um, you talked about the, the on the last show about the the difference in the time what well, we did about the time weighted versus the dollar weighted return. Right. It's kind of what we're talking about here is that if if the market goes down um, and you pull out and then pull back in after it's already began to recover, you're you're going to have a lower return than if you had just stayed in. Right. That's right. In that period, because you missed out on some of the real. So your dollar weighted return is lower. But what if you are actually buying secured equities after it declined? Um, right. It, by rebalancing your stock to bond ratio, it actually pick up some return. Yep. Along the way. Right. Um, so that that rebalancing can actually enhance your investment experience, assuming you still have the appropriate time frame and and patience and tolerance to get where you need to go. So. The the other part of this article, Ethan, was uh, about uh, IPOs and takeovers. So U.S. initial public offerings have raised about $41.2 billion this year. Uh, it's about 28% below 2007, which was $57 billion. Uh, takeover announcements have totaled about $524 billion in the U.S. this year, down from uh, $585 billion at the same point in 2011. IPOs have been the most prevalent when economic growth is strongest. And companies raised $96.8 billion through public offerings in 2000, the most in the past 13 years as the company expand, as the economy expanded 4.1%. The lowest year for initial capital was 2009 when the U.S. shrank 3.1%, uh, the data shows. While unemployment dropped to 7.7 in this past November, it's still higher than the 5.8% monthly average since 1948. So the monthly average since 1948 is uh, actually seems a little higher than I think most of us would have thought. 5.8%. Yeah, that's what they're citing. Bloomberg shows. The housing market stagnated until this year, and policymakers have yet to reach an agreement on the so-called fiscal cliff. A more than $600 billion in tax raises and spending cuts automatically scheduled to hit in January. Republican leaders canceled a vote on the budget, sending talks uh, deeper into turmoil last week. And just earlier today, Ethan, uh, the market was down significantly, we're saying, just based on the fact that um, it didn't look like there was going to be much done throughout the weekend. And then as it was announced that they are going to meet, suddenly the market recovered. Which to me means that the market is acting very uh, jittery around the very short-term implications of this of this uh, fiscal budget, right? Fiscal cliff issue, which I am confident 
while I don't have a lot of confidence in the people there, I am confident that if we keep enough pressure on them, and we were telling you to go to fixthedead.org mm-hmm. uh, um, and, and read the, the different uh, plans and proposals and, and sign the uh, the um, sign the petition that they're putting together there, um, which they're having great success in getting signatures and and even they have a little posting even Starbucks. I know some of my coffee has a handwritten "come together" uh, message, which is kind of interesting. And and the purpose of that, um, Howard Schultz, the CEO, even blogged about this. That you know, it's encouraging our Congress to uh, to come together and and to get something done on this issue. So I, I feel pretty good that something will get accomplished here, Ethan. Uh, yeah. Oh, so go ahead. I'd agree. I, I think something will. Um, I don't know exactly when, though. It might be after the first of the year, but they can do some retroactive things, I think, right. to, to make sure that doesn't drag on too long into the new year. Um, I would expect the first couple of weeks uh, of January, if not, not sooner. It, it should have a little effect on your long-term investment strategy, and that's what we've been saying. True, is you know, let's let's look back in a year for two years from now, and I think that unless we have another a crisis of a different sort that we're not aware of right, right. now, which is always potential, possible, sure, um, that this particular issue isn't going to be, you know, something that is going to ruin your investment returns. Um, it will. It will get worked through. Um, uh, you know, I was meeting with some folks today uh, down in Tacoma, and you know, they, they really didn't have a, before working with us. Anyway, didn't have a very good uh, handle on their investments. You know, why are they doing? Why they own certain things, and how they're doing their or managing their portfolio? And you know, I, I just reminded them, hey, by working with us, what you're what's happening is that you're getting a, a very a very well thought out approach. First of all, one that is is properly diversified across stocks and bonds. Also, the allocation which we're working within is just right for you. It's based on your time frame, risk tolerance, and all those good things. Also, we have a very disciplined approach about the first two items, being you know being diversified and sticking with the allocation. But the third piece is something that, or the fifth, the fourth piece rather, something they brought to the table, which is their their regular commitment to saving money. And so, in spite of the the economic you know turmoil recently and the last decade for them wasn't particularly good in terms of stock market returns, they continue to save and, and invest. And combining that that their own Savings discipline with our, you know, what we bring to the table is really where the magic is going to happen for these folks, and they're going to be able to have the retirement that they're looking for by combining all four of these things for them. I think that's an enormously val- valuable point, Ethan. Which is, what can you learn if we're reading through this about rather than pulling money out? Imagine that you did retain your job. You're one of the ninety plus percent that retained their job right. through this tough time. And you had the ability to adjust your budget in such a way where, you know, you could still continue to save and invest. And now we're talking about new dollars, not dollars that have been exposed into the market that you're waiting to recover, right? Right. From the decline. But you're actually putting in, if we went back into 2009, and I was doing this with my two little daughters, 529 accounts particularly, and along with my retirement accounts is, hey, whatever I could manage to put in, I was trying to accelerate it during that period of time, recognizing that it's highly likely we will recover from this. Yeah, at some point. And the time frame is, is long. Right. Um, so if I was expecting it to happen in a year, I didn't think it would happen as quickly as it has. 
in, in terms of that 94% rebound? Who, who knows? You know, when we came out of the depression, it took 10 plus years. Uh, from peak to bottom to get back, you know, close. It was actually it might even been a little longer. I don't have it exactly in front of me, but right. it was quite a long period of time to get back to just an even point. So it's very probable and possible. But if you were adding money throughout that entire period, or if you'd been continuing and not only continuing but ramping up um, your in regular investment, not only would you not have uh, with the money that you already had invested lowered your return by getting out at the wrong time. But you would have enhanced the return. You know, money that you put in in March of 2009, right? Dollar you put in there would be up 94%. Yeah, just in the S&P. Just in the S&P. Right. So that would be a phenomenal amount of return over that short period of time. Exactly. Um, huge way to, you know, one of the things I talk about, we have in our letter coming this quarter, is how do you beat the market by outsmarting the market? That's a perfect example of how you can outsmart the market and beat it. It's it's not by by figuring out well how I'll pull that pull out when the market goes down and I'll jump back in at the peak, or I'll I'll pick you know trying to figure out how you could have picked that uh, that uh, what was that stock that was up five seventy seven I see yeah Expedia Expedia right trying to find the next Expedia. Um, that's a tough exercise and often leads down a, a path of frustration that, uh, that, that when there are other very good lessons to be learned from this, that can be implemented. And if you have the ability to save and you're not in that withdrawal phase, it, market downturns can be the greatest gift ever. You know, because do you want to be piling money in when the market is overappreciated? Right. Um, and however long it takes to work that out of the system sometimes can be unknown, right? Yep. Um, I'd rather be piling it in when we're historically cheap, particularly if I plan on that portion of my portfolio being invested for a longer period of time. Mm-hmm. It's a good deal. We've got to take a quick break, Ethan. We've come back. We've got one more segment. We'll find uh, something topical and interesting to close out this year's uh, show. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. 
Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Hi, welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. It's our last segment of the day. And, uh, again, if you want to email us throughout the week, uh, you can shoot me an email at ksmith at empirical.net. Is that correct, Simon? Uh, or ebroga at empirical.net. I love the simpler, uh, the simplicity the, of it yeah. is, yeah. What is it simpler? I don't know. But you know what I mean. Yeah. Simpler is better. Definitely. Uh, or give us a call, you know, throughout the week at our company number, which is 1-800-923-4307. And the last few minutes here, Ethan, you, uh, last week you had promised to share a little bit about what you think is going to happen with some of the tax planning, uh, or, or with tax related issues and how we might be able to plan or. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I, I was talking to my friend, Karnak the Magnificent, and, uh, he was talking about future tax rates and what he thinks is going to happen with all that. And no, it's just a joke. I didn't speak oh, to Karnak okay. the Magnificent. Although I, I do appreciate you. Johnny Carson. I love that guy. Yeah. Uh, he did a good show for a long period of time, was, but uh, anyhow, yeah, I did. I was uh, on a presentation, or uh, like I said, it was a webinar last week, and um, somebody who has uh, their ear pretty close to what's happening in Washington. I was talking about the likelihood of different different taxes going up or things changing anyway with regards to taxes, um, and so I, I have a, a quick list here. We can kind of run through some of these, and then we can kind of talk. Hey, does it make sense to make changes this year on based on some of these things and what circumstances that might be worthwhile doing. So one of the things that um, is is likely to happen is that ca- long-term capital gains rates is very likely to go up to 20%. Uh, currently, it's 15% in 2012. It's likely, more likely than that, I'd say, to go up to 20% in 2013. Yeah. So that's one thing that they're not really, not really arguing about. They're not really, you know, haggling over that particular element of it. Uh, so there seems to be some agreement on that particular uh, part of the tax code. Um, also, there seems to be con- some consensus about what to do with qualified dividends. If you recall, uh, qualified dividends were part of the Bush era tax tax cuts that we've had for quite some time. Well, they're set to expire in 2013 and beyond. Um, it seems like uh, rather than having them go go away entirely, those have qualified dividends follow long-term capital gains rates and equal 20% going oh, forward. I see. So they seem to have some agreement on that as well. Which is good for folks who have, uh, you know, money in stocks, and uh, they can have a, a somewhat tax-friendly environment for those uh, distributions that they they, re- they receive. One of the other things that I think is more unique um, is this discussion about municipal bond income. Um, you recall that obviously municipal bonds uh, aren't taxed at the federal level, um, regardless of your current tax bracket. And so, one of the things I had heard previously that they were talking about. Uh, you know, possibility of, of taxing municipal bonds like regular bonds. Right, and, right. And that was proposed anyway. And it seems like they've come to an agreement on what how they're going to handle that. And, and it looks like it'll be municipal bonds will be um, tax-free up to the 28% bracket. Okay. So in other words, 20% of your tax-free income would be tax-free. Anything above that 
that you receive from ta- from municipal bonds would then be taxed at ordinary rates. So a little bit of a blend there. Okay. So it isn't all or nothing, but it's a, a bit of a blend between tax-free and and and, uh, and taxable status for municipal bonds. Wow. So that's kind of interesting. So yeah, these still require some additional planning around how you implement some of that. Yes, exactly. Exactly. The use of the the tax-free bonds. And yep. So that's interesting. Uh huh. Um, the other things I think we've talked about before, which were the um, the Medicare tax are going uh, at 3.8% starting next year. And that, that is already set to happen. Um, and this is on invest basically on, on folks who have, um, if you're joint, you know, filing a joint return, if you have AGI of 250 or more, 250000 or more, you'll be subject to this Medicare tax um, on that, that part of your income that is above that level. So that's actually set to happen. There's nothing that's going to change that. That is basically okay. set in stone and going to be taking place next year. Um, that's an, in addition to there's another surtax um, on on um, on income above that same level um, at point one point nine percent additional tax. <laughs> it's another type of Medicare tax, I believe, is is set to go in as well. Uh, the details that I don't, I don't have in front of me, but um, I believe that's something that's going to be going into effect regardless of what happens uh, here with the fiscal cliff talks toward the end of the year. So obviously a lot of things that that are, are changing. Um, and one of the implications is that if boy, if you have long-term capital gains, you know, embedded in your in any of your taxable accounts, and you're likely to spend or use some of that money, I would say either next year or the year after. So in the next couple of years, um, in other words, you're going you're to realize the gains anyways. It might be favorable to take examine taking taking those in 2012 if you can, uh, just to avoid paying the 20% capital gains tax relative to this year's 15% capital gains tax. So it certainly is a, is a plausible strategy if you're going to be using the money anyways. That's something to, to take a look at and consider. What about um, – that's great, Ethan. Thanks for sharing all that. Uh, what about the potential – I mean, you spent a lot of time in analyzing Roth conversions and IRA um, – yeah, to Roth conversions. Is there is have you read anything uh, in, in any of the proposals that would affect that? I have not. I have had not heard anything um, about the tax implications changing for Roth Roth IRAs or Roth conversions. Um, so basically, the, the gist is for a Roth conversion. If if you expect when, when it would be a good thing to do a Roth conversion. Is if you expect to be in a higher tax bracket later relative to today, and again, my so for the last ten years we've been kind of working on this where possible. Yeah. Um, if we're saying, hey, tax rates are going up the next decade, and you're previously uh, working and you'll be retired through that, I mean, what does all that mean? Yeah, I, I've been saying even even if people are likely to be in a higher rate of tax than they expect to be, um, primarily uh, due to two things. Um, so early in retirement, you may be in one tax bracket, but later in retirement, you're, in my view, likely to be in a higher rate or rather t- higher tax bracket anyways, irregardless of what tax brackets actually are. And the reason I say that is because later in retirement, you'll be dealing with required minimum distributions that you have to take from your IRA account. So if you have a million bucks at 860 in an IRA account and you're, you, you wait till 870 to take money out, when you're required to, it, your, your required minimums will be around $60,000, $62,000 simply at a 5% compound growth rate, um, you'll have 1.7 at that time in the IRA. Uh, that means you'll have a lot of taxable income from required minimum distributions. And then on top of that, you have easily just most folks have Social Security and then spousal Social Security. 
if tax rates stay the same as they are today in 2012, you're likely to pay more in tax than, than you would uh, in, in early in retirement by converting money now, basically. Um, so you compound that with uh, the, the plausibility of having higher, actual high, higher tax rates as well makes it even more important to tax strategize early in retirement, in my view. So the real danger would be if, if there ever were a, went to a flat tax or a sales tax, yeah, um, that could dramatically affect the value of, of, of the Roth converting, right? Yeah. Um, theoretically. Yeah, it would have an impact, right? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely would. Um, but my, you know, for most folks, not everybody, it depends what tax bracket you're in currently, but uh, it's almost a no-brainer, in my view. If you can, you can pay 15% tax on a Roth conversion, that it's a pretty darn good bet that's going to work out for you long-term. Yeah. Above that, it gets a little less, less certain, um, but you know, that can be quickly identified depending on your assets and, and the qualified and unqualified dividends from your taxable accounts and other sources of income in retirement to estimate future income tax brackets. Well, that's all the time we have today. Uh, we hope you have a great new year. And uh, we'll be back next week. We'll be back next year, Ethan. Look forward to Thanks it. Thanks for tuning in, Empirical Investing Radio. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. 